Welcome to the 50th episode of the First Ever Podcast. I present to you the theme song performed by Andy Hall of Manchester Orchestra. Take it away, Andy. It's the first, first, first ever How awesome was that? Shout out to Andy Hull for just being the best. This is the 50th episode, everybody. It's the first ever podcast, and I am your host, Jeremy Bohm. If this is your first time here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences and their art form that led them to where they are today. I am so thrilled to have my guest, Jeff Rickley, be the 50th. He is uh, a very longtime friend. He's like an older brother to me. One of those guests that I knew would arrive here one day and um, having him be this milestone really, really just made it extra special. This is also probably my favorite episode. So all of this just it feels great. I'm in a I'm in a great mood here. I you know, the show's been going on for a year now. If you've stuck with me this whole time or uh, maybe you just pop in and out. I can't thank you enough. This has been just such a, a such a joy. And uh, it has been um, I don't know. It's just doing this podcast has really helped me deal with uh just the decline of social interactions that we've all had this last year and some change so um i appreciate your support i really do let's give uh let's give a shout out to some sponsors let's hear it for discovered magazine discovered is an international print counterculture magazine encompassing the best of music art skateboarding and anything with the punk ethos listeners get 10 percent off a yearly subscription using the code first ever when you visit store.dscvrd.co. And my other wonderful sponsor, any coffee drinkers out there? Hit up Rootless Coffee Company. They are a small batch roaster out of Flint, Michigan, making high-end coffee with bags designed by some of the comic industry's rising stars, collaborating with artists, bands, brands, nonprofits, wrestlers, comedians, and more. Rootless is the punk rock gateway to craft coffee. Easy to understand and delicious roast options. Listeners can get 20% off their first or actually all of their orders using the code HARDTIMES at checkout when they visit rootlesscoffee.com. Any size, any grind, any time. Break free from boring. If you uh, want to support the podcast, um, you know, you can subscribe to it. Uh, over on Spotify or Apple or wherever you're listening to it. And if you want to go the extra step, you can subscribe to the Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. Um, I've been doing these radio episodes this last Monday. I did a, uh, an extended hour, uh, hour 40 minute episode where I played uh, music from um, the majority of the musical guests that have been on so far. And it was really fun to put together. Um, I put them up on the platform here about every two weeks, but, uh, or every other week. But, um, if you are subscribed to the Patreon, you can get a new radio episode delivered to you every Sunday and, um, yeah, something fun to do. All right. Without further ado, here's my conversation with the wonderful, the awesome, 
the ever sweet Jeff Rickley of Thursday. Jeff, thank you so much for hanging out. And guess what? You are my 50th guest. Yes, finally. <laughs> a big honor that I can get behind. Uh, yeah, when, when I saw this approaching, I was like, I have to do something. I have to do something extra special. And, you know, you're obviously someone that has been an obvious upcoming guest that, I'm, that I had to bug at some point. But just as yes. time has gone on, I'm just like, how has this not happened yet? So thank you I for... I know, but now that it's like an event, it feels like it was faded. <laughs> it was meant it was meant to be meant it to was be. absolutely meant to be um how are you today how are you, how are you holding up man i'm great today i uh one of our mutual friends uh i went to the gym with him this morning we do a little heavy lifting together every week and uh i mentioned i was coming on here and he was super psyched because he was like i can't believe you haven't been yet so who's that who's our mutual friend justin uh, Buscart. oh awesome yeah, yeah. awesome so. very cool very cool how many days a week are you going to the gym? I'm going twice, and then I've got some free weights at home. Okay. But I want to I go more. I, I realized I need to add some cardio before we go back to singing. You know, I haven't been doing anything like that in the last two years, so. Yeah, cardio is seemingly key, and I'm saying this as if I know anything <laughs> about this stuff. But, uh, but for me, that, that's been, like, the main, the main thing where it's like, I don't want to get back up on stage and all of a sudden it's like the running around and the being out of breath. It's like, Oh, Oh, that's brutal. Yeah. When you can hear yourself panting through the PA, it's not good. It's not (laughs) good. (laughs) Yeah. It takes you, I feel like it kind of takes you back to when you first play concerts where you're like, um, where you're really excited and you're like, like, I'm going to fucking go for it. And then like after a song and a half, you're like, What did I do to myself? You know, that's why I started wearing a jacket. Did I ever tell you that? No. I come out on stage with a jacket on now. I've noticed that. To remind that. myself not to go too crazy the first song and wind myself. Wow. Yeah. It's like wow. just a little extra weight. It's like um, some people have a hard time sleeping, and I've been there before, where a weighted blanket helps. Right. You know, and it just pushes you down into the into the bed. Um, I like that you have to put on a jacket to tell yourself that, and it's not like something that you you just sort of realized after doing it a couple times. You know, it's like you have to have the jacket to reinforce. Take it easy, Jeff. Definitely, yeah. I mean, you know, we had broken up, and then when we started playing shows again, I was going back to it like I was still twenty one, and just like you know right out the gate, like jump off this thing, run up this, you know, I just like my, I just would like lose control of myself because I'd be so excited. And then after the first song, I'd be like, Whoa, I can't sing. I'm dead. You know, I'm dead. I can't do this. And, and so it was like a little bit of a process to realize like, well, I can actually sing now. So maybe I should give myself enough breath to be able to sing. So I started like kind of planning out how I was going to keep myself from getting too excited, you know? Because the adrenaline, right. it hits you real hard when you get out on that stage, you know? No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. So one of the things I'm most excited kind of about, about about having this conversation with you is obviously our friendship goes very, very far back. Deep, but yeah. A, a reoccurring theme on this is like, you know, I'm, there's still probably, I have to imagine there's still so much that I don't actually know about probably. you. Which is fun. Yeah. I, I know you're from New Jersey originally, but I'm actually curious when you were growing up, like what for you was the first music that you connected with that like felt like it was yours? Mm, that's a good question. I think, you know, the first music that I connected with. So uh, my mom was like a Beatles fanatic. 
and she had all like the original seven inches. And I had one of those plastic Fisher Price record players. And I ruined her incredibly like valuable, expensive collection of original Beatles seven inches because I was just into it. And I played it with my plastic record player that didn't have a real needle. It had like, you know, cheap, like a plastic needle, needle probably. Yeah. And just totally destroyed them. And she was, she was beside herself. I can't lie. She was pretty upset, but she was also like, he has good taste already. So I'm not going to, I'm going to let him do it or whatever, you know? Right. Um, yeah. And how old were you? Oh, that was probably like four. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah and I yeah. just really loved like how sing-songy it was and how, you know, I just really connected to that and didn't get anything else from the songs. Wasn't interested in what they're about. Didn't, you know, just didn't care at all. Just was kind of like, da, 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 you know, whatever. Um, right. I feel like that's kind of But it didn't feel like made... it was mine, you know? Sure, sure. I feel like that's what kind of made the Beatles so as cool as they were is because it's like their songs are borderline lullabies at in certain aspects. But then Definitely. some of the darkest content you could ever imagine also at the same time being sung. Yeah, it's really interesting. And now, like, my relationship to those songs it has so many things mixed in them. You know, a lot of it is, like, nostalgia for being a little kid with my parents. Um, there's a song, I'm Only Sleeping, that, like, my dad, you know, my dad commuted uh, an hour and a half to work each direction when I was little. So I didn't see him a ton when I was little. And Sundays, he would, like, sleep all day. So when I was, like, three or four, my main, like, hanging out with my dad was he'd fall asleep and I'd, like, you know, cuddle up next to him and fall asleep and the sun would be coming in the windows because it's daytime. He's just sleeping the whole day. And that song is one that my mom would play to wake him up. Like, I'm only sleeping. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like just, so when I hear that song, it brings me back to being a, a kid. And it brings me back to, you know, thinking about my dad being so sleepy. And it also kind of, the lyrics are sort of a little bit darker and stranger than you realize when you first listen to it. Like, I don't need the world. I'm just sleeping. You know, why are you giving me a hard time? I'm just sleeping. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's just, I, you know, I'll always love that band for that reason. Sure. Um, but, yeah. And then when you got, like, when you got older, mm-hmm. what, uh, what, like, what came next? You know, like, was, were you, were you, like, an MTV kid? Like, did you, you know, did you sure. fall into the, the, the Pearl Jams, the Nirvanas, and all that sort of stuff through, yeah, through that? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that was, like, both those bands kind of felt like a paradigm shift, for sure, especially Nirvana um, was, like it felt like it changed everything. But for me, the first band that was like mine, cause you know, everybody, like all my friends who were into music and stuff, it was like Nirvana changed everything. And, but for me, it was nine inch nails. Like that was the band that I just, just went crazy for, you know? Um, and learned how obsessive I could become. And yeah, I, <laughs> it was all about it. Yeah. Was that for a pretty hate machine or was that for a downward spiral? Yeah, I had a cassette of Pretty Hate Machine. I didn't have it right when it came out. I probably got it in like 1990 because I was um, I was doing like a summer class at a college before, you know, while I was still in, I think I was like in seventh grade, but I was doing mm-hmm. a summer class at a college and I was walking across the quad and I heard Down In It playing in the middle of the quad and I just walked up to the person and asked them what it was. And she was just like, this is Nine Inch Nails. You never heard of Nine Inch Nails? You know what I mean? It's like she's a college. I was yeah. like a kid, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I went and got the cassette. And then I remember when Broken came out. And then for me, the thing that solidified it as like my band was uh, Downward Spiral came out on my 15th birthday to the day. Whoa. Yeah. March 8th, 1994. So that was like, that was big for me. It felt like the culmination, you know, cause it was the culmination of their, like, that's the peak for me of Nine Inch Nails. And it came out on my birthday and I was just like freaked out. 
I bought a fake ID and went to see their record release show at Webster Hall, which is an incredibly small place even for them back then. Sure. You know? So uh, that kind wow. of started a real obsession. <laughs> and that had to, well, before I, before I say this next part, yeah. I mean, it's, I remember Down In It was the first song that I enjoyed from them too. And I think it's because I also, at that time, being so young, you know, it's, it's like at a point when you kind of like so many different kinds of music, just sure. like whatever's on the radio, you know? Yeah. So there was a lot of sort of the pop rap stuff sure. that was happening around that time too. And down in it, having sort of like a rap element <laughs> yeah. to those verses, but then noticeably seeing that it's like dark, you yeah. know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like all of those things sort of culminated. And that was what drew me to that song when I was a kid, because it kind of mixed all these different themes that I was involved, that, that I, at least I appreciated as a kid. Totally. Yeah. I mean, yeah, when I was young, like all this stuff that I listened to before, you know, before the Nirvanas and like, I, I've listened to a little bit of like the Smiths and stuff because I had a, a few movie soundtracks that had them on it and I, I got it. I liked it, you know, the cure stuff like that. But before like rock music, it was, all hip hop that I liked. I remember probably the first thing I bought with my own money was Tribe Called Quest scenario, cause single, just the cassette single. You know? Sure. Yeah. 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 And that kind of stuff like was just like, I was, I was really into that and I really loved it, you know? So I definitely get what you mean. That sort of like almost like one toe in the hip hop world. Yeah. It was kind of fascinating at the time. Like, you know, it's easy to look back on it now and be like, listen to Trent trying to rap or whatever, but it, <laughs> The production was outrageous for the time. Like nothing totally. else sounded like that. And even kind of his like his delivery of the sort of rhythmic lines was so mordant. It sounded like somebody on the radio talking at the same yeah, time. Like, you know what I mean? I it was didn't feeling sound some like, feelings I wouldn't believe. Yeah. Sometimes I don't believe in myself. And, and I, I, just, I, was I was never, never coming down. Coming you know, it's down. like all <laughs> muted. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah. But so what I was gonna say uh before I went there was was <clears throat> That's a month before Kurt Cobain passed. Yeah. Because if that's so April 94. Yeah. Um, when I had Anthony on, Anthony Green, just a couple weeks ago, uh-huh. um, one of the things we talked about, which I had never asked a guest, you know, more in our age range is, um, do you remember where you were when you found out that Kurt had passed? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, we had seen him. We had seen Nirvana and Sonic Youth play in New York City in Columbus Circle. You got to see him. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, Damn. right then. Like, right when he had the first overdose. There was, like, a 6 months period. He had, like, an overdose, and everybody thought he was going to die. And then maybe he was getting better, and then he killed himself. Um, right. So I remember, like, following all that, you know, wrapped, wondering what was going to happen and if he would be okay. And uh, And I pulled up to band practice with, like, my first dumb band that I was in. And that drummer who, like, traded Gigi Allen videotapes and stuff, he was like, kind of like, he was older and he was like a little little cynical maybe. I don't know what you would call it. Yeah. He was like, oh, that stupid pig, Kirk Cobain killed himself, I'm so stoked, was basically like what he said. And I just was like, I don't want to be in a band with you anymore, man. Like, Straight I was just like, because that's how I found out. And I was just like, no, man, I don't, no, I don't like, and you know, it's hard to find a drummer. Especially right, when you're a yeah. kid, you know? So totally. I was just like, nah, <laughs> no way, dude, forget it. So that was yeah. kind of, I do remember it very well. And there's my band, I was like, let's not go overboard here. And I was like, no, what's the point? <laughs> like, I know I don't like this guy. <laughs> well, I don't want to keep playing music with him. <laughs> yeah, that that one moment tells you everything you need to know about that person. Yeah. 
yeah, that's 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 a rough one. Um, well, that actually kind of kind of brings to uh, the first one of the other first questions is like, um, you know, what what your first band was. Well, actually, I mean, I guess before we we jump there, uh, yeah. Did you play any instruments before? Like, did you start playing any instruments when you were a kid? Yeah, saxophone. Saxophone. Yeah, I didn't played, know that. I played tenor, alto. I was in a, a few of the school bands. I was in like regular band, then there was concert band. Probably, probably not good enough for a concert band to be honest. Uh, jazz band I wasn't in because I was clearly not good enough for that. But I was also in marching band. And in marching okay. band, I played baritone saxophone, which is like really big and heavy. So marching around yeah. with that was like kind of a bummer. <laughs> what if you were to be handed? If I just handed you a saxophone through the Zoom call, mm-hmm. would you be able to play it? Badly, yeah. I, I could still play it, yeah. I the okay. first time I actually ever played in this city, I was playing saxophone, and it's a really weird. I like took some, <laughs> I took some LSD. And went to see this band called Green Apple Quickstep. Oh, I remember them. Yeah, nineties yeah. band. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, nineties band. And um, they were like totally got a kick out of this like weird kid. So they're like, "You play any instruments?" You know. And I was like, "Yeah, I play the saxophone." And they're like, "Oh, great! We have a saxophone player." Sometimes I think they were probably lying about that. They're like, "Yeah." Next week we're oh. opening for Fishbone at CBGB's. You should come and play your saxophone. So I did. No way. <laughs> yeah. That was your first time, like, ever, like, playing on stage and all of that. Just, yeah. <laughs> were you on LSD while you performed on stage? Not that one. Not that time. Okay, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, but your first show then was kind was at CBGB's? Yeah. I mean, technically, uh, well, I guess. I mean, I know it's calling, it's <laughs> funny calling it your first show, but it was, like, honestly, it was, like, your first time in a punk club on that stage. Yeah. Doing something. Doing something. Doing something. And it was with Fishbone, right. legendary band, you know. Sure. And then the first time my own band played a club in the city was um, maybe later that year or the next year. I was probably like 16. And my band played um, the Pyramid Club in the Lower East Side, which recently closed, but is like sort of a weird legendary club in the Lower East Side. And I played with uh, my friend Ryan's band. Uh, they were called Home 33. And um, Ryan Ryan sings in a band now called Ake, who are pretty cool in New York. Like okay, Ryan's a, a, a hard, New York hardcore staple. Um, he he actually just did a two minutes to late night thing. Do you watch those at all? Yeah, yeah. He was I've in the them, Purple yeah. Rain one. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, by, <laughs> yeah. By the, CBGB's weird. The, <laughs> I think by the time this airs, it'll be out. I just did a, a two minutes to late night singing. Uh, um, where is my mind? Oh, Pixies. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yes, dude. I can't wait to see that. Yeah. I, I, it, uh, I was a little nervous at first, but I think it came out. Okay. Yeah. Um, the, uh, so what was the, so then what was that first band? What, uh, that you were playing in? Cause I guess in my head, I, I, I remember talking to you once and like, I think in my head, what I, the story I had built was that like you were the kid that had the cool basement that had all the shows, and then you started a band, and that, it was Thursday, and that was like the first thing. But I'm interested to know about that what is kind of true. Per- but in high school, I like wanted to have like a cover band for a little bit, like where we did like Dinosaur Junior covers and stuff like that, and then we kind of wrote some music, and it was I don't know really what it sounded like. It was sort of like whatever we were into that week. You know, so we had a song that sounded like, um, I don't know, like 
I'm not sure what we were going for, but it sort of sounded like Rollins Band, I guess. And then we had okay. like a song. That were you sounded, the singer? Yeah. Well, okay. yeah, <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like constantly, the guy that was recording us would be like, "Nope, that's not a key." You know what a key is? And I'd be like, "A key." Right. Uh, not really. I'm not trying to do like, you know, the saxophone stuff. I'm trying to like sing a punk song. And he's like, yeah, yeah, most punk singers actually hit some notes though. You know? And I was like, <sighs> I don't know. Wow. To be told that, <laughs> to be told that early on is pretty crazy. Yeah. And then, and then like the guy who was recording that, that's, that's, I ended up interning there at the studio after I recorded with that band for like four years. And that's where we recorded waiting full collapse and, were all the time so like the big blue meanie big blue meanie yeah yeah when he started it was it was in his house in new jersey at first when i first worked with him and then and then i was interning a little bit once i got my license i was just basically running errands and every so often he would show me like here's you know what compression is check this out you know what i mean he would just slowly show me like you know first thing like you know how to work a patch bay like you don't even really need patch bays anymore with the way studios are now but patch bays used to be like really confusing and it was a really like when you're recording the tape, it's like a really arduous thing to have to keep in order is the patch bay. And then a I'm recall that's, sheet. That's, that's like the, the big thing where it's like, there's just a bunch of wires plugged into to yeah. everything. Right. Yeah. I've always looked at that and I'm like, it's above my pay grade. <laughs> oh, and once you screw one of those up, it's like troubleshooting that to figure out how you screwed it up is insane. Oof. It's insane. You have to go through every one on the whole wall. So like it those always, are the kinds of things that I learned. <laughs> It always reminded me of like when you look when you see the old footage or old videos of like uh, of like the people that used to have to do the telephone. You know, like that's how you to connect Operator. calls. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then yeah, and that still also never made sense to me. I'm like, how are you just plugging that in and then that's going to someone in this city or whatever? <laughs> yeah. um, have you ever seen that meme? There's like a like from Mad Men, I think, where it's like the the operator. She's switching the cables, and it's like. Um, it's like it's like those keyboards, those synth like the ones where you just patch the. It's like just just like switching right. the cables. So <laughs> um, that's awesome. Uh, what was that band called, by the way? Do you remember the name? I do, but I'm afraid to say it because somebody will find like a demo online somewhere or something. Somebody's digitized it now, and I'll be like, no. Uh, yeah, it was called it was called Useless. <laughs> Oh, that's such a, that's, there's a bazillion bands with that name. I yeah. think you're, I think you're okay. It's like, <laughs> okay, uh, cool. it's like being called like, like, uh, uh, strength. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. There's, totally. There's, there's so many. Yeah, cool. It's like I'm when safe. You, yeah. When you look up one of those band names on like, um, on like Discogs and you're like, oh jesus christ there's like 74 of these how am i gonna find what the one i'm looking for yeah it's like no the good envy i wanted the good oh, envy. <laughs> sure yeah 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 oh uh, that's always gonna be up for debate on who's who's talking about what when you say those words yeah <laughs> um so what was the first what you mentioned the first show that that band played in the city but what was like do you remember the first show that you played that you sang and like what that felt like yeah it was um in a pizza shop and we didn't have a drummer yet, so it was just, like, three guitar players and me. You know, it's that kind of thing. I think, actually, somebody might have, like, turned over a garbage can and played drums on it or something. You know, it's, like, really, try, really trying Perfect. to do it. And it felt just weird. It just felt weird. Like, I was like, I really want this to be good, and I somehow can tell that it is not. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and then that band won the Battle of the Bands a year later. You know? Oh, fuck so. yeah. We were on oh, our way. Oh, fuck yeah. 
what was the prize? It's always funny here. It was always like a $25 gift certificate to, to uh, Guitar Center. You're like, what are you going to get with $25? Man, I wish. I don't even think... I don't even think our school district could afford that. <laughs> sure. <laughs> no. Um, but it still felt like, you know, it felt very much like an 80s movie where it was like, yeah, like the not cool kids won. <laughs> right. Like very Bill and Ted sort of moment. Yeah. Uh, did you do a cover or was it original that, that won you that prize? Well, we did Black Number One by Typo Negative. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's... Yeah. That's in your and also you singing. I know it's kind of funny, right? Wow! Did you just like? Were you trying to just sing in a super low register, or I mean, were you? You know, just I still didn't know it. what a key was, so I was just sure, doing my yeah. best. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, I'm sure I, I was d- trying to like she woo. You know what I mean? <laughs> black, yeah, black. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, I got to see typo negative one time, but it's not really something that feels like a bragging thing because I'll no. be honest, I wasn't there for them. Yeah, I went to go see Cole Chamber because that's who oh, was open. Yeah. So I saw yeah, them I so much. We had two clubs. There was Studio One in Newark, uh-huh. and you'd see like a bill that would be like Clutch, Fear Factory, Typo Negative, and Life of Agony. You know what I mean? That'd yep. be like one bill, seven dollars or whatever. You know? What oh, I mean? sure. <laughs> it was like crazy. And then there was Lemore's in Brooklyn, which was like where you'd really see it, like Typo Negative, Doggy Dog, Biohazard, the weirdest bills. But that was like who always played together. And I remember Peter Steele would be like. I got to pick up the garbage in like two hours. Let's get this over with. You know what I mean? Like he'd say that on the mic. It was incredible. I loved it. He had a whole shtick about like, let's get this over with. Uh, You guys are the worst. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, probably drinking like three bottles of wine. I remember that. I remember that being the most shocking part when I saw them was that I think he, he took down like two full bottles of wine on stage. Not hard liquor. Like wine. Wine. How is that not even like that's like filling? <laughs> you know, what I mean? <laughs> it's crazy. Doing that? Yeah, but then you look at the stature of that man, and you're like, okay, yeah, okay, Jesus, big gulp. Um, yeah. You're right. Uh, was uh, what was the first tour you did? Did that that band? I'm assuming didn't no, no, didn't no. hop in the van. <laughs> no, 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 no. You know, every show that we played when that band was like, oh, you sure you have to play? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Nobody, nobody wanted us on their shows. You're like, do you know that I want a battle of the bands? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just had this ability to talk people into letting us on shows. It was just sort of like that, you know, which served me well later, you know? I think that someone just posted, uh, someone who I think runs an account called like New Jersey Hardcore Shows or oh, yeah. something like that. I, I, I just them. came. I just saw like there was a, uh, like they just posted like a very what i find to be a very helpful guide it says like hey now that shows are coming back here's how you get on shows it's like participate in the scene go to as many shows as you can make friends with the people who are putting on the shows that you want to be a part of and if you're not getting on those shows create your own scene totally start throwing you know, like it, it was like a very smart, broken down thing. But it's like, yeah, what you're just describing is exactly how it, it is. It's like you just go and you befriend the promoter. But then you you just you give them the the can't say no sort of vibe. Yeah. I mean, eventually they're like, well, you're an integral, integral part of the community, right? Like you need to be here. You help with everything. So like might as well let your bad band open like one of six on this. Sunday afternoon or whatever. And it's like, you know what? That's a great way to get some experience and, and become not so bad. 
<laughs> you know? 100%. Um, 100%. So when, um, so but I guess before that, so I'm assuming Thursday was the first band that you ever toured with. Yeah, and Thursday was like the first like real band. And like, you know, it was sort of one of those things where that band, I started to sort of realize, uh, this isn't good. I'm not a singer either, really. And so I just sort of like put that away. And by the time I went to New Brunswick for school, it was like, I just want to put on shows. And that's sort of yeah. like the spot that I found myself in, you know? I just want to put on shows. And I, you know, started going about that process with a bunch of friends. And, you know, we built a little community and we had great bands and great shows. We did 300 shows in three years, I think. Oh my God. Yeah. We did a lot. We did a lot and, and had some like really wild things in the basement. You know, we had Hot Water Music, Aerotype 11, and, uh, and uh, Leatherface was, and Kid Dynamite was one show we did in the basement. Um, the last you and I show with like Seisha, which was their second, it turned out to be their second to last show, I think, and Song of Kerman and like Portrait and a bunch of other great bands. And uh, yeah, Reversal of Man broke up in the basement, you know, <laughs> like it was crazy. Yeah. Um, so we, we had a lot of, we had a lot of fun doing that. And it wasn't like, I, it wasn't even like, let me do the basement shows so I can start a band and make it work. It was like, I love this basement. I love these shows. I want to be even more involved. Like might as well get some friends together and have a band to play it every so often. That was just how we started. I remember you saying that Thursday's first show that was with you and I, right? Yeah. Well, so there, there's a couple different versions of the Thursday first show because like there was one where we put together a band and played a song with our friends in Joshua who were like in okay. a, do, a, a, a what's it called? Dog, dog house, a dog house band. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had a whole band together and one of the people didn't come and we played with saves the day and I tried to play guitar and sing. And then I was like on the fly. What a terrible idea. Right. Oh, yeah. That's tough. Terrible. And, then and, and you had never first, done that live before, like trying to do both. I've never done that time. in practice before. Yeah. But I was like, I know these songs. <laughs> All of a sudden you have the realization like, oh my God, when my hand is doing this in this pat, I can't use my voice. This is not so good. <laughs> yeah. It was real. It was real uncomfortable. And then our first, like where we played a full set and had a full band and it was like working with, with was with you and I. Yeah. Okay. What, uh, when did you start playing guitar though? Oh man. That's a good question. Was it like around? Was it around the time of the saxophone, or did that kind of come like no, more it was college later. years? Yeah, it was okay. later. But even then, it was like, was I playing the guitar? Was I? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just yeah. starting now to feel like I can kind of play a little bit. That's yeah. kind of where I'm at now. Like I've done whole tours solo with a guitar, where it's like, man, I couldn't play guitar. <laughs> right. Know? But you know, at the, at the time, I was on a lot of drugs, and it just felt like maybe I could play guitar. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know? Did you ever? Did did you ever try playing like a like a third guitar with Thursday ever? Like did did that ever try like on any tours even just kind of like later on? Like yeah. the way you know like when you'd see the Deftones randomly where Chino's playing guitar, did that ever seem like anything you'd want to do? We've done it a couple times, um, like literally a couple. I think two times. Um, yeah. But the way that it works is like I don't need to play along with Thursday. There's already enough noise going, so usually it's like. When we have done it, it's like the whole band leaves and I start a song by myself and then the band kind of trickles back out and starts playing again. It gives it like a breakup in this sort of, not monotony, but kind of like, you know, when you have a lot of people in the band and they're always playing, it's a little like, you know, it's one, it's one setting a little bit, 
You know what I mean? It's a lot harder to break yeah. things up when there's a lot of people. So we would kind of use it just as a moment of um, a moment of contrast. Right. Like the the way when you do the falling bomb song, mm-hmm. like it'll just be piano and, and you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we were trying to find <laughs> other ways to like go about that. And um, and the fun thing with we were doing a song called Time's Arrow was like I would start, then Tom would come out and start kind of like the closest we've ever had to like improv. And he'd like play a little like melody that he just thought up sort of. And then, you know, everybody would sort of creep in a little, which is different than falling bomb is like very starkly just me and piano, you know? Yeah. So it was, it's fun. I, I like... I like playing with the big gestures. You know, the other guys in the band like to do subtle stuff. I'm not a subtle. I don't like, I'm not a, subtle's cool. I just don't think of subtle. I think of like, what's the craziest thing we could do here? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And this brings us back to, I need to wear a jacket to tell myself to. Uh... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, that's awesome. So the, do you uh, have any of those? Do you have any things where you're like, I have to do something different because of this problem that keeps happening. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like I, I need to do something different because my teeth keep getting kicked out or because of it. Like, is there anything where you've like consciously been like, I have to learn not to do this anymore? That's a good question. Um, I mean, my answers aren't the first thing that came to mind is like the most generic thing that probably every singer and every band has learned to have to do, which is, is just like, I need to have the, I like need to have the microphone taped up. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. With the with the cord in there, I gotta like, know how you found that out. Uh, <laughs> from, from the obvious, just all of a sudden going up on stage, feeling really confident, and being like, <gasps> and then the cord falls out, and you're like, uh, and you just look like a fool, you know? Nice. Like the, having the cord fall out is, and also just you know when you when you're playing basement shows and, and stuff like that, and you're sharing the mic and you're throwing it around, and people are just grabbing the cord, it's just getting Pulling pulled out, out yeah. and just all, all that sort of stuff. So that that was like a pretty a pretty early one. And and it's funny. It's like the, my one dickhead rock star guy thing where it's like our, our whoever's tour managing when they're like doing this, helping us set up the stage. Like the one thing that Mm -hmm. I ask that person to do is like, could you please just tape on my microphone? Yeah, I do the same thing. It's it's the one thing. You got the one thing I need. Yeah. Cause I used to do it myself and it was like, it just was like a weird thing where I'd be out there doing it for like seven minutes and people would talk, (laughs) would talk to me, would like heckle me a little bit. Which is right. fine, but then they'd get bored of heckling, and it would get really <laughs> awkward because they'd be like, "All right, like I used all my good material, and now he's yep. still there, and it's uncomfortable." And then I'd feel uncomfortable yeah. that I made them uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, you get the guy being like, "What are you playing today? It's Friday." <laughs> yeah, and you know, at first I can be like, "Yeah, screw you," <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> and, that, and then it was like fun. Now we were having fun, and then it stopped. And yep. he was like, "Wow, that mic needs a lot of tape, huh?" Yeah, because because you 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 tear the the piece, but uh, then it like accidentally catches itself, and you're like, nah, I have to tear another piece. Part and I, way, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's yeah. sitting down the middle of the tape, and then you get part of it. Yeah, it's the worst. You know, when I realized that with the tape, this is kind of a ridiculous thing. It was the first festival we ever played was in Chicago, where Chicago was the one of the first places that we kind of blew up. Maybe because Victory was in Chicago, we we're playing this radio festival, and we were in the parking lot, which is like the second second thing. And, uh, we opened with understanding the car crash and I was like spinning the mic, but I hadn't taped it up and oh, no. it went during the first song. Yeah. It went off the cord out over the crowd, over the fence and broke somebody's windshield. Oh, fuck. their car in the park, like way out in the parking lot. <laughs> and at the same time, somebody threw up a bottle of water and Tom was facing the amp and stepped back 
and slid like cartoon style all the way to the to the front of the monitor landed on the monitor sat down the monitor went over the side of the stage and he went seven feet down to the ground with his guitar on like we played like 10 seconds that day god (laughs) oh my god (laughs) so i was like better tape up that mic next time (laughs) If that was on, if that was on film, like that would be, that would be the Thursday story. Like it that, would. it would be the meme of all memes. It would be, yeah. yeah. Like that'd what? be like the ultimate whiff. You know what I mean? Like people are like, Oh, missed that one. It'd be like that meme would go up there. You know, of us like, just like, Whoa. right. Do you follow, uh, the Instagram account? Look at this Russian. Oh no, you gotta, you gotta get me on this. It's, I mean, it's just like, it's some of the most chaotic stuff you've ever seen, but that <laughs> reminds me of like what could happen in one of those videos. Cause like you, you, you don't make a post and you're like, you'll be watching the one guy you think the video is about, uh-huh. but then in the background, all of a sudden, like a semi does like a backflip and you're like, how oh. the fuck? did that happen i love um, stuff like that chaos yeah absolute yeah. chaos <laughs> truthfully um that man so what uh what festival was that was it like a small it festival a, or was it like kind of like a bigger one no it was big it was the first time we played like a radio festival <clears throat> oh yeah yeah and um so like i remember i remember walking into the festival and somebody was like, oh, yeah, did you hear local boys are talking smack about you guys? You know, so it's like a radio thing. So they're like having me, they're telling me this like while we're on air. And I was like, oh, okay, who's that? And they were like, local H. And I was like, oh, man, really? And I was like so condescending and stupid about it. I'm like, it's like, I didn't even know that they have good music. I just knew that one song, the, the copacetic song. Down, That's all I Down for the floor, yeah. Right, right. So I was just like a total, like, you know, whatever they had said i was way worse as a like you know 21 year old had done like one tour and was like oh those guys whatever yeah (laughs) you know what i mean one hit wonder band yeah yeah meanwhile they got like a bunch of records they're like road dogs and you know what i mean it's like Like, very respected yeah (laughs) totally Totally. yeah way to be like that jeff good job Oof, oof. <laughs> hey, you know, you got to have these, you got to have these learning moments. I totally understand. You know, I love fun. learning moments. Tell me one of yours. You got a mo- learning moment? I got to know. Like uh, a total mortification learning moment. I think when I, I think I, though I don't regret aspects of it, I feel, I felt I really stepped in it when I was hypercritical of Warped Tour. Okay. Uh, and that it was in the way in which I did it. Okay. A, I understand. What I learned was that you have to take into account everything you're saying in an interview because oh, yeah. you never know what the person's going to make the headline. Yeah. So the conversation was just very, oh, ca- no. you know, it was, it was all about whatever our new record was. But then he was like, hey, would you guys ever play Warp Tour? And I was like, fuck no. And then headline. laid into why I wouldn't. And then the headline was... Touche Mori will never play Warp Tour. And then like just basically quoted me being like so in in the way that you're describing the local H thing, the same sort of way where I was like, like, for instance, I said like 99% of the bands on that are like misogynistic, blah, blah, blah. It's like, (laughs) that's a pretty unfair ratio. I don't think like, yeah, a couple percentage (laughs) off. There's a lot of of really kind ska bands on Warp Tour, for example. Ska ska people have good hearts in general. 100%. So, like, my way in which I described why I wouldn't want to do it Uh was not very calculated. (laughs) I stand by that I still wouldn't have wanted to do it and Uh all that sort of stuff. And I I give all the credit to my friends that have done it and and stuck with it. I, you know, there's a lot of aspects why uh, I was opposed to it. But um, 
the way it came back at me was sort of like people took it like I got in a big public spat with Scott Heisel. Oh, yeah. Alternative press. Sure. Because he the way they sort of framed it was like Touche is too cool to play Warp Tour. I was like, cool has nothing to do with this. Yeah. You know, like. I play in a punk band because I'm not cool. That's actually the fact, yeah, yeah. you know? And it was like, it was in uh like I've won some one point. Someone was like, you know, I'll bet if you asked Jeremy, if he'd ever played with AFI, he would have said the same thing 10 years ago. I'm like, what does AFI have to do with this? Huh. Taking this yeah, out of yeah, context. Taking the whole thing. The wrong yeah. Way. I was like, yeah. what the fuck? Um, Cause at that point we had just announced a tour with AFI, but Regardless, that's yeah. that was a big learning experience for me. I was like, okay, if I'm gonna take a really hard stance, especially in an interview, be calculated about it. Yeah, Don't just yeah. like run your mouth off. Yeah, yeah, you gotta like prep it. You know what totally. I mean? Like if you're gonna like say something that people are gonna really latch on to, you almost have to kind of think like what's what's the aspect that they're all gonna like talk about that's not the important thing, you know? Because I gotta figure One, out a way to cut that out. <laughs> exactly. That's that's exactly it. And like yeah also just i'm an oversharer at uh-huh, heart me too yeah and it gets me into trouble sometimes oh, I know, where i know how it goes man yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so 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 that's the other problem where it's like i need to learn to i and i still to this day need to learn to just be like i just would rather not play that festival <laughs> I've got a tote bag that says I would prefer not to. (laughs) And everybody who sees it is like, that's the best bag I would prefer not to. It's just so like, no, no, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) I I would prefer, I would just prefer not to. Yeah. Like I just think of like how much shit I would have avoided had I just been calculated and been like, "Eh, it's just not for us. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, Yeah. It's tough though. I mean, I'm the same way. Like I, I, I genuinely think, like, if we're talking and having a good conversation, we're friends. You're not going to do anything to, like, mm-hmm. manipulate my words. <laughs> totally. I thought naively. <laughs> to, to, uh, totally. Totally. Um, yeah, that was, a, that, that was definitely one of those situations. But, um, yeah. When, um, when did your relationship with uh, Eyeball Records start? Because they were, like, a Jersey-based label, right? Mm, yeah. It started in the basement. Um, I think Gabe from Midtown was like, Gabe was like a real early supporter of what we were doing. Like was like, if they were playing like a Wayne Firehouse show, he'd be like, you guys should get over here right now and play one song during our set on our equipment. And I'd be like, oh, I don't even know where my guys are. You know, we don't, <laughs> have, we don't have cell phones yet. Like, how am I supposed to get a hold of them? Um, yeah. and, and so we would do that every so often and he would like, this is the thing, Gabe's an extrovert and I'm an introvert. So even sometimes his support, I would feel like he was mocking me. <laughs> you know, like he'd like walk into a diner and start singing one of our songs at the top of his lungs. And I'd be like, oh God, why is he doing that? Is he making fun of me? Um, but he wasn't. He was just like a really genuine, um, sweet supporter of the band and what we were doing. And um, he brought I- Alex from Eyeball to one of our first shows and Alex wanted to put out our demo as like a seven inch. And I was like, Oh man, somebody wants to release something from us. I better get them on the hook for a full length. I was like, don't put out a demo, put out a whole record. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. We'll never get a chance like this again. So I'm going to yeah. make the most of it. And I convinced him to do it. Wow. And that's interesting too, because was full collapse or sorry, uh, waiting wasn't even on vinyl until some years later. Yeah, right? that's true. That's true. So it was still a CD market. Totally. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Uh, were you a vinyl kid? Um, 
I was like it, around that around that time. Yeah, it just yeah. I I just I, I I think about how cool it would have been to have that early Thursday seven inch, and I think I'm just maybe I'm just a little mad at you right now because yeah. there isn't that early Thursday seven inch before <laughs> before the CD boom. I know, I know. I should have been like go for it, but you know what? I was just like, we need a record so that we can do this and do this, and we we really wanted to try a tour, and we really you know what I mean? It was like all these things. I just like I couldn't I couldn't take it slow. You know, I get it. I get it. Was did did Thursday tour much around that waiting era? Era we did, but it was like a lot of like long weekends and stuff because we were all still yeah. in school for the most part. So we would do like you know a weekend up to Boston, Providence, you know, um, sometimes New Hampshire or whatever, um, and then we would do a weekend that was like Ohio. Uh, like all around Ohio, Pennsylvania, you know what I mean? And then we'd go down to DC, Virginia, Maryland, and we'd play like, and the thing is, is like, so back then I was still doing the basement shows <clears throat> and uh, the way that we would set up basement shows, you know, cause people have asked me like, would booking agents call you? It's like, no, the promoter in Long Island would be like, Hey, I had this band called, you know, uh, go, 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 go Earhart or whatever. And they need a show tomorrow night. Their show fell through. Can you put them up? And I'd be like, sure. And I'd be like going to Kinko's right now and asking the local bands to get on. And yeah, they can at least so sleep here kind of, and make them dinner and, you know. And So in a way, the, the basement was kind of like the backup plan basement that, for a that, lot of really, people. that yeah. really lucked out with a lot of cool shows. Yeah, because we were known as like the, the backup plan basement, we got a ton of shows that we shouldn't have gotten. You know what I mean? And that was really cool. Like His Hero is Gone, Talk is Poison show, stuff like that, where it's just like, whoa, how did that end up in the basement? Um, and like bands from Germany, bands from England, bands, you know what I mean? It was just like a weird thing. And and that's a lot of how it would be, you know? So I'd call and say like, Hey, we had this other band here tonight, you know, like, can you put them up tomorrow? And Long Island would say no. And I'd call Staten Island and then I'd call DC, you know, and like Katie Otto would be like, I can put them on with Q and not you and silent majority, you know what I mean? Or whatever. And you'd be like, great. They'll, they'll fit in perfectly there. And, um, so when we started touring, that's what it was. I would just call those same people who had called me asking to put up bands that they liked and say like, Hey, any of those bands that we gave shows feel like putting us on a show. And so that's how we played like Wilson Youth Center and places like that. And yeah, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun, man. I love those days, you know, I've never, I don't know that I've ever had it completely confirmed from you, but I like to think that this is the truth. Was your first time in California that Murder City Devils tour, or had you been out there already? Because I want to say that I was at, I mean, because that was the first time I ever yeah. saw you guys. I think but, technically we played California once before that on our own self book tour, but we literally in LA played to, I no, been, to no one. I was going to say, I would be surprised if you even played L.A. because there's nowhere really to No, play. we did. We played L.A. We played, and, like, while we were there, we were like, is this a strip club? Like, we're on all these different levels. Like, the amps were on all these different, like, levels. And I think it might have been a strip club even. But it was, like, downtown L.A., and, like, one guy from a record label set it up so he could see us, and he didn't come. I so badly <laughs> want to like know that. where this show was. I so badly want to know where this show was. Um, so we were just kind of like, maybe we don't need to play California ever. That was like a horrible <laughs> experience. And then, yeah, and then the murder and what, a, and what a perfect 
like shitty LA thing like record label guy wants to come see us now we're playing what might be a strip club and yeah. he didn't even show up like it's the most like, so LA <laughs> so fucking LA situation I could seem totally understanding being like well we don't need to come back here east coast forever yeah it was like that and it was like all the drives to get out there were so long you know yeah, east man. coast it's like you're used to like three hours you're at wherever you need to go next in three hours you know it 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 wasn't until um, I started touring that I became so unbelievably jealous of the East Coast, yeah. where I really understood, like, oh, my God, you can literally tour the East Coast for a week and a half yeah. and only have to drive 45 minutes or an hour and a half, and it's completely different scenes in yeah. such a short span. Totally different, right? Whereas, like, oh, cool, we're in Southern California where we have to either drive eight hours north to go to San Francisco or seven hours east to go to fucking Arizona. Yeah. You know, it's just like, yeah, yeah we're, we're just stuck out here. <laughs> this is us in Orange County and kind of San Diego, you yeah. know, just kind of looking at each other being like, I guess we have to deal with each other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Of course, you're stuck with the, the scenes that couldn't be more different from each other, those three 100%, scenes. 100%, yeah. yeah. That's great. I love it. Um, <laughs> man, let me tell you, with, with Orange County really really showing their ass during uh, during the this these last couple of years, it, it, to me, in the back of my mind, I'm like, I think this solidifies the L.A. versus Orange County debate. I, we think, we're, I think we won. <laughs> I want to say we won. Yeah, it's, I think um, it's pretty solid, yeah. Yeah, we got some good evidence here. Um, what, uh, I mean, you've, t- I mean, dude, you have talked at, at nauseum, uh, over the years about, about everything with victory records. I, mm-hmm. I know, I guess maybe the only thing that I don't know 100% for sure was the way they first caught con- was, was the contact through another band that was already on victory or was it, no. was mm-hmm. it like a cold call from you to them? So Alex at eyeball had heard. First, we did demos for Full Collapse just to see what kind of a record we were making. And then, do, the, do those exist still? Like, are they around? We have them for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, the two songs that we demoed were Concealer and Paris and Flames. And so, you know, we were like kind of more on the the punkier hardcore. Like, was where we started on that record. Sure. Um, and then Alex heard them and was like, "This is too big for eyeball." He was like, this is going to be huge. Like, he's like, this record, like, once we started recording it, recording it, he was like, nah. He's like, I really care about you guys. I want you to do well. Like, we need to find you a bigger, bigger label. And so he had a friend that was a sales associate at Victory, and she signed us. That's how we ended up on Victory. The reason we wanted to be on Victory, uh, there was a band also from New Jersey, Dead Guy, that we, yep. like, worshipped and loved. And they were also signing up some new stuff at the time. They were signing up like Boyce Hits Fire and Grade. And we were kind of like, oh, this could be like a new cool era on Victory. And like we got really excited about it. And I remember going out to shows with every Victory band that came through after, you know, All Out War and Grade and whoever and being like, yeah, we're your new label mates at Victory. And they're like, oh, you guys are screwed. Forget it. It's all over. Like that was not what I expected to hear. Right. <laughs> what was what was that woman's name at Victory? Was it Jen? Ka- oh, Kathy. Kathy, our our old yeah, she was like our close friend there. After we signed at Victory, our closest ally was the PR person, Kathy, and she's awesome. Ka- I remember, I remember dealing with, uh, and I don't even want to use the word dealing because I I had nothing to offer. Um, <laughs> but that's talking, why she was amazing, though. 
But talking with Kathy over email when I when I made the website for you guys, because f- I don't even know why I would have reached out to Victory, but I think I was probably just like, yeah, like, hey, like I'm doing this thing. Um, I just want to let you know kind of a thing. And, you know, she responded and was, you know, sweet about it. But but I, yeah. that name stands out to me. I remember that. She was uh, like really genuinely enthusiastic about the band, and she's the reason why we like did well at all. Because as soon as we signed, the person who signed us quit, <laughs> and we were like, "Oh!" And then like Tony, when we finally talked to him, was kind of like, "Yeah, I don't know why you guys are on this label. Like, you know, we're a big deal. You guys are like nothing." Basically, <laughs> it was kind of the attitude, and we were like, "Oh no!" And he's like, "What's your favorite label?" And I was like, "Discord." Like, you know, it's no yeah. no doubt. He was like, "They mean nothing." You know what I mean? It's just like it got like really dark really fast where it's just like, oh, no, we we made a huge mistake. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) What have we done? Oh, no. Um, Yeah. And then uh, but then, you know, I guess something I've I've always been a little curious of is obviously there was like that sort of pretty quick divisive um, relationship that started there. Mm -hmm. But. Was there a strong radio person that you got along with there or something like that? Only because for a label that seemingly didn't seem too interested in what you guys were doing, you ended up on MTV. Yeah, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't because of a radio person. Um, the radio person was kind of like when we handed the record, it was like, no singles on this record. This is like maybe yeah. standing on the edge of summer was kind of like what they said. But they're like, even that is not really. Huh. So we're like, OK. And then. Uh, we asked for a video budget and we just ended up just doing the video ourselves. Cause Steve, this is kind of an interesting thing. Steve, Steve was in film school and worked on David Gordon Green's movies. So David Gordon Green has gone on to do like, um, the new Halloween and right. pineapple express and stuff like that. But years ago he was like the big deal indie guy, you know, like criterion collection. And when Steve, yeah, worked George Washington, George Washington, that, that was yeah. the big one that yeah. they worked on together. Like some of it's shot in Steve's old house. Steve, you know, shot a, a bunch of it. Um, so we had like a whole crew of friends, um, you know, uh, Craig, who uh, just did that Mayor of Easttown series and a bunch of people that were just part of his crew. So we got together some really talented people and just made Understanding the Car Crash for like nothing, you know, like we made it for like nothing and serviced it and didn't really expect anything to happen because, you know, Victory didn't even... They didn't even care at all. And then we got the Saves the Day tour, and suddenly we just started hearing it after At Your Funeral was playing, and then we would hear that song, and then we would hear ours and be like, this must be some kind of special House of Blues TV because we're not on MTV, obviously, right? And my mom would call and be like, I think we saw you on MTV. And I'd be like, no, no, this must be somebody else that sounds like us or something. I don't know. Yeah. But it was, it was like suddenly we were on there all the time to the point where by Christmas, like we were on every 15 minutes and they had taken a clip of me singing, understanding a car crash and made it the MTV logo. Whoa. So that was like, that's when I realized like, whoa, something is happening. Like something's happening. And like our booking agent called us and he's like, you guys are selling 20,000 records a week. Like, I don't know what's happening, but I'm going to book you a headlining tour next year. I was like, I don't think we're big enough to headline. Yeah. And he was like, you're going to headline places bigger than the tour you're on now, and you're going to sell them out. I was like, uh, I don't think so. But then he was right. Was So, because that record came out in April of 2001, so uh-huh. did, did that steam start picking up? Like, was it in the 
late fall, fall late, late fall. fall yeah like winter yeah. actually december so it was december that, i picked up because i'm i would have to look up when that murder city devils tour actually was right before things really started picking up i think yeah i think because uh, yeah i mean because i remember yeah i mean that was this, obviously you guys were you guys were like first of three I think it was three four bands. Most, was, yeah, four. Some dates was, it was four. Whenever there's a Mer- local, we were the first. We were even before the local. Oh, my God. Yeah, because <laughs> it was Murder City Devils, American Steel, and you guys. Yeah, and then and Sparta's a- first show was in, in Austin. Sparta's first show was, you know, three of four on that bill. Oh, interesting. Like that, yeah. Interesting. But, yeah, I remember going to that show and just, like, you know, one of those circumstances of, like, being a total music fan where you're like, I'm going for the first of band. Like, yeah, I, it's like, a good feeling but, always, right? Yeah, like I liked Murder City Devils at the time. I wasn't really aware of American Steel. I I came to like them later on. Mm -hmm. Um, But but yeah, I remember going to that show early to to catch you guys and to to meet you guys and all that sort of stuff. Um, I remember you being so, so sweet. You were doing merch behind the table. I also had uh, like laryngitis or something like that. So I couldn't really even talk. And I just was like, I'm the kid who does your your website and you were so sweet and you demanded that i took like every shirt from your merch table which oh, i was like don't tell the, i'll have to pay my band right now extra in the back of my mind i'm thinking like even at that time i was like they're playing first i don't think yeah, this don't is an money. okay thing for me to do <laughs> you know yeah, um, good point good point. yeah but but you know I, and I, you know i've never told i've never expressed this to you but I feel like what a great opportunity, but, um, your treatment and your band's treatment towards me really enforced how I have operated, you know, touche stuff going forward, where it's like the importance of like connecting with someone that you repeatedly see at shows, Mm -hmm. you know, and making that extra effort to really talk to that person or like, get so used to seeing them or like knowing them or recognizing them or whatever that, you know, maybe you have some sort of communicate way of communicating, whether it's through social media or what, to where you're like, Oh, I'm going to put that person on the guest list every time they come just because they've been here since the beginning. And I actually, you know, like our conversations are genuine and, and all that sort of stuff. So it's like, it's that idea of sort of like giving back because you gave your band gave so much, to me with like your kindness and your friendship and like not treating me like I was just a fan. Like you treated me like I was a friend, which meant so much to me as, as a younger person, you know? Um, I'm really, I'm really glad that that, that that meant something to you. And I really think like, it's, it's lovely to hear. And I just think like, you, you know, you guys have done so much better than we have with it. Like, I really, I really think I've just watched how, you know, not to turn it into a mutual appreciation society too much, but yeah, yeah, just watch how you guys have operated, and I just think it's uh, it's beautiful. You know, I love the way you guys treat people and the way you treat each other, and I just also love that you've always kind of stuck to your guns. You know, I think one thing that happened with Thursday is, like, we got really caught up in a sort of, like, whirlwind at the time, and it spun us out a little bit, you know what I mean? Like, some drug use, some, like, also just being, like, so big that we couldn't talk to anybody for a minute. You know, when we were headlining, like, 5,000 capacity shows, it was, like... It was just, like, way too much for me, personally. You know, like, I couldn't talk to people because I just started getting, like, so scared and overwhelmed and stuff, you know? Not that I didn't still want to, but I just, I don't handle that level of pressure super well. I've I've come to learn about myself in the last few years. Um, Yeah. 
so yeah, it's, it's lovely that, that we were able to, you know, meet at a time that it was, it was good for you to have somebody treat you with respect and care. Um, and, uh, and I'm glad that you've done such amazing things with it. It makes me uh, so happy, sweet. you know, makes me uh, so happy. Something, I don't know that I, uh, it's funny, uh, after, after years of like kind of just ref- reflecting on stuff, I remember always feeling very like, oh, I'm fucking cool. I'm on the fucking get, I was looking for someone <laughs> yeah. ever like got to be on a guest list for something. Um, so being young's that, all about. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. But I remember when you guys played, uh, that it was like a, one of the much bigger tours. It was like, the, uh, you guys in Coheed and thrice, thrice probably yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I went out to the orange County show, but I don't know if you know this, but, um, the friend that I brought with to that show, uh, was Allison Roman. No the, way. The chef. Yeah. That's so crazy. She, yeah, she, uh, I've, her and I have been friends since forever, since, you know, we were teenagers and she was a huge Thursday fan. That's and, really, uh, really and crazy. Was, and it was my way of being like, I'm going to impress my, my friend here and take her out to this show. So her and I went to that mm-hmm. show together and, and, uh, I introduced you to her, um, as you were like, I'll never forget you. Were oh, like, no. I could tell for you it was like a not flattering moment uh, that we all have had now so many uh-huh. times where where like you were walking to you know I'm always I was always cautious of like I don't want to bother the band you know they're super nice oh, no. I don't want to bother them but you were you were like doing the quick run because you were like you, you made it very aware that like I got a shit before we play oh <laughs> it was, man you didn't say I that but you that were like one real well. yeah, yeah we were crossing paths and I was like I was like hey this is my friend Allison or whatever and you were like oh it's so nice to meet you or whatever hey I'm sorry I gotta run I gotta hit the bathroom we're about to play but it was and I saw in your eyes yeah. I was like I'm gonna let this man go I, now I you know too I, that like when that adrenaline hits you if you have anything yes. in your stomach you're like that's the very unglamorous thing about going on stage is like the second you hear the music stop in the front of house you're like oh no now I have to go to the bathroom <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, no, a hundred percent. I, I always feel like I have to pee. Yeah, like, I, like I think I don't have to pee, uh-huh. and then like maybe as like intro music starts, I'm like, I should have peed. Why didn't I pee? <laughs> like, what did I? Well, I'm an idiot. When we were playing like 300 shows a year, and I know you know what that's like. Um, there was a time when we were playing these big, big theaters where like literally, if I had to pee, there's no way I'd be able to find a bathroom and get back to the stage. No way. So confusing backstage right so i had like a a garbage can on the side of the (laughs) stage that i'd be like i guess i have to pee into a garbage can again like this sucks so bad like right on the side of the stage garbage can rickley yeah (laughs) so he's peeing into that garbage can before he plays but it was like literally that or i'd probably pee my pants on stage you know it's just the adrenaline would hit so hard and i would have stupidly been drinking like water to to help my voice all day or something you know what i mean and then yeah Oh but, my um, god, um, you know, sort of a so, sort of a reoccurring theme that you know obviously plays through Thursday is like signing to a label and then the people at those li- at that label end up moving on to other uh-huh, things. Uh-huh. Um, actually, it's funny. I I'm currently reading. Uh, I got an advanced copy because our our mutual pal Dan Ozzy oh, uh, yeah. has, has asked me to to potentially write a a thing on the back of the book. Nice. Um, so I I've just started reading the book. I have not got to the Thursday chapter cool. yet. Um, but I know you're going to go pretty deep. I'm assuming into that. Uh, with we the did a lot of, the of interviews with Dan. I yeah, know I did so, over six. I did somewhere between six and nine hours of interviews with him, and he did like everybody in the band. So right, yeah. So so for people listening, there's a book coming out called Sellout, which is all about the punk punk band signing to major labels between like 1994 and 2004, and every chapter is a different is a different band. So Thursday uh, Thursday signing to to Island. 
um, for war all the time. I mean, uh, again, something that you and I never really talked about, but it's like, I understand why it happened. I totally get it because mm-hmm. also at the same time, rival schools, who I just realized I'm wearing a rival school shirt, uh, <laughs> also signed to Ireland around that same time. And you had also Thrice, who I believe signed to Ireland around that same time. So I would, if I was in your shoes, I would have looked at that being like, Yo, this is really incredible, and also we're bringing some friends with us. We're getting yeah, there's going to be a we cushion. Were, I think we were before before those guys, so I think like they were a little oh. cushioned by it. But we were just like, oh. we got to get off of victory. It doesn't yeah. matter almost where we go at all. And Island is the one who seems to get us the most. Like when we talk to them, they'd be like, "Yeah, we get it. We get what you're doing. You guys are like a cure or something. Yeah, you don't, you're not going to have right. hits. It's cool." And I, we were like, "Yeah, exactly." And then we we're like, "Wait, the cure has hits." <laughs> but still, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, you're, like, no. I, you're like, I appreciate the analogy, but there's a big difference here. Yeah, like, they're wait, do you they're actually the biggest wanna, band. Yeah, do you want us to have hits? Because they have a bunch. They have a ton. Did you uh, have that moment with the label, though, where they heard the record and said there's no hits? Oh, yeah. Or like, we need hits? Because you, did you have to go back and write a couple extra ones? We didn't have to. We could have dug in our heels, but they were like, look, you guys have been like in a pretty intense place with this record for a while we got you like a week up at Longview. They're going to cook for you up there. It's like really nice. It's on a farm. It's like a beautiful, like you'll, you'll sleep there in a beautiful house and it'll, everything will be taken care of for you with a great studio. Do you want to go? And our producer was basically like, I want to go to Longview. I want to record at Longview. So you guys have to, we are like, I mean, we might as well try. And I was like, yeah, I just started writing that other song. It was Division Street. I was like, I don't know. That yeah. might be something, you know. Um, so I'm really glad we did because there'd be no signals over there. And there'd, be, there'd be no Division Street. Like those, without the record, it would be a much darker. I mean, without those yeah. two, it would be a much darker record. So um, Totally. As far as selling out and going to a major label, I have to put Dan Ozzy on blast right now, which is that he's like, dude, my book, you know, that I've been working on. I think we're going to use a picture of you for the cover. And I was like, that's so awesome. Like, I'm so flattered, Dan. Thank you so much. And then I see the al- the cover of the book when he puts it on Twitter and it says, like, sell out huge over me. And I was like, dude. <laughs> yeah, you're like, you're like, maybe you're not realizing how that makes me look, my friend. <laughs> but I got it. But I was just like, man, you got to warn somebody when you're going to call him a sellout to the entire world yeah, yeah, on the yeah, cover. Yeah. Poster boy for sellouts worldwide right and it's funny too as someone who like got caught up in some of that stupid dialogue that is so not important anymore Mm. is like i might have been blinded by my my by my admiration and love for your band but i never thought twice Mm -hmm. about about that sort of talk with your band going to a major for Mm. me i was like good for them that's (laughs) awesome you know like there's only been one or two instances where I was like, whoa, you know, That's like against weird. me, against me is like probably at the, the biggest time. example. Sure. Yeah. yeah. At the time. Yeah. But then you get older and you're like, who gives a shit? Yeah. <laughs> you well, know, I mean, yeah, it's like once you realize like Rage Against the Machine started on a major label, it's kind of like you can yeah. do that. Radi- you can do radical things on a, on a major label. It, it may be harder and you have to be tough. The thing that I've come to realize about the situation with us was we went with, like, the purest of motives, you know? It's like, we want to be somewhere where we control our own destinies, where we're not told what to do, where people actually like our music, you know what I mean? It's like, that's a pretty fair thing to ask, right? But we didn't... The problem that we had was we thought that, like, pure motives and thinking you basically have an understanding that major labels are bad. Like, I get it. We have to be careful. We did not know what we were getting ourselves into. 
You know, like now, because we know we're smart, we're not going to fall into the traps. And it's like, oh my God. You know what I mean? Like stuff just kept happening. And like speaking of moments, learning moments, I had so many with the major label. I remember like when we were still in the honeymoon period of like we had signed, but we hadn't given them a record yet. And they thought we were going to be the next Nirvana. Like literally everybody's like next Nirvana, next Nirvana. Um, They took us to Mr. Chow's, which is like a sort of like a famous like a Chinese restaurant. Um, very ritzy <laughs> and they brought out like dumplings and I was sitting across from Julie who was the president of the label at the time and um, like the dumplings came and she was like eating one of the dumplings and I like dipped the dumpling in like the sort of clear looking sauce and started eating it and I was thinking like it's like lemon it's like lemon water and I just saw her like looking at me <laughs> like just just watching not saying anything just kind of still we're talking about whatever we're talking about but I just noticed she's looking at me and uh, she finishes her appetizer, and then she looks, keeps my eyes, and she puts her fingers into the finger bowl <laughs> and washes her hands in the lemon water, which is what it was. It was a finger bowl. I've never seen it. I'm from New Jersey. Huh? I've never seen a finger bowl in my life, but yeah. I dipped my dumpling in it like it was sauce. Oh. <laughs> you, I feel like that's the 2003 Ozzy biting the head off of a bat. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, if Thursday fans could see us now, me like <laughs> classing down the whole major label system right now with one meal, maybe yeah, they, maybe yeah. they'd be proud. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my god, that's so good. That's so good, man. I, yo, we could. It's funny. I have like all these notes about all these different things I want to talk about, but um, I, I know we're on a schedule here. And, and if anything, this I'm looking at this as like an ability to uh, to bring you to bring you back down the line because it's like, sure. You know, there's there's further records I want to talk to you about. Um, but we can, we can even just wrap it up for, for now and just put a pin in it and say, we're going to, we're going to pick this up later if that's okay with you. I mean, I'd love to, love to come back. You know, I love you, man. So I'm super, super honored to be on this. And like, I love, I love what you've been doing with the podcast. I love the guests you're having. Barty Strange. I got to shout out Barty Strange, my artist, my artist of the last few years. I just adore his music. Absolutely. So yeah, the last, the last thing I like to ask everybody is uh do you remember the first time where you felt like you were doing the thing that you had been working so hard towards wow yeah that's a great question i um i do i do remember a couple moments and you know i never have i never have an i have arrived moment i've never thought like now i'm the man you know what i mean i've never had that never once um because i've always just wanted to do the work so doing the work felt like it's reward you know getting to make music that's a reward so i remember like the first one i ever had of that was you know, I was like carrying in the amps for um, for like you and I, and they were just playing, and I was like making sure everything was working, and it was their last show, and then they started playing, and there was this like it was so hot. There were like two, I think we had two hundred twenty-five paid in the basement, which is way too many. People had their heads inside the windows, the like storm windows on the basement, and. Uh, and it got so hot that when they played sort of like one of their best songs with this like beautiful buildup in it, when they hit the breakdown at the end of the buildup, the pipe started raining in the basement. And it was just like, everybody was like singing along and like freaking out and the water was coming down on us. And it was just like, I just like looked over at my roommate, you know, and I just felt like, yeah, we're doing it. This is what we're supposed to be doing, you know? And that I wasn't even like, you know, I was just in the support role. You know, but I've yeah. always loved that. I love being part of a community, just like being a cog in the machine to make it a special time for everybody. You know, that's like 
And I, I've always tried to keep a mentality of that throughout Thursday. It's like, we're all working towards the same thing. We all want to have a real experience together. The crowd, the band, people that are working the club, like we all, you know, ultimately we all love music because we want to have this big communal experience of transcendence, you know, together. And, uh, yeah. I love that, Jeff. Thank you so much for sharing that. And, uh, this has been a pleasure. I can't wait to, to pick this up. Uh, maybe, maybe hundredth guest. Yes. I love that. Yeah. yeah, every fifty, every fifty, you, I'll have you on. So, so <laughs> we'll do something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I love it. Uh, love you, Jeff. Love you, man. Love being on here. Thanks for having me. And that is our show. Thank you so much to Jeff Rickley. Thank you for listening and being a part of this fiftieth episode celebration. If you've got a sec to rate and review the podcast over on Apple. It helps a ton. Otherwise, you enjoy your week, and I will see you next Wednesday. Bye-bye.